Hey there, I'm just going to be blunt here, folks. I believe that we live in a messed up world. Would you agree? And a segment of this messed up world seems to revel when bad things happen within the church or other faith-based ministries. Just read the comments on social media when a church leader has made a grave error in judgment or had a major moral failure for one reason or the other. Not only do such failures get the attention of the public, but they also get the attention of our government. Yes, it's still our government, whether we agree with their politics or not. And when the government puts their eyes on someone or some organization, it increases the scrutiny of all related parties and industries, along with the chances of audits or unfavorable legislation and regulations. We have got to do a better job of holding one another accountable for our actions, our decisions, and our finances. In today's episode, I'm going to touch on why I believe it's vital that accountability in the church not be optional, and I will give you practical and tactical steps to help ensure accountability in five areas of your church. But first, I do want to read a review that I received on Apple Podcast, and I will tell you, it's really weird for me to read these reviews because it's people saying nice things about me, which is really weird to read out loud. But you have no idea how much these mean to me and how special they are to me and how they encourage me. So this one is from Faithfully Driven Hearts. And it says, thank you so much for your bold faith in Christ and your call to serve his people well. I started my bookkeeping firm over a year ago serving general business owners and nonprofits. I finally found my niche for e-commerce and small retail businesses in my community. I may not be serving churches in this season, but I do have to say I am so uplifted by your content and message that I will be listening on a regular basis. Thank you for the breath of fresh air. God bless you. (laughs) Well, God bless you and thank you, Faithfully Driven Hearts. You have no idea how much that tickled me and what an encouragement that was. So we are going to um, move on to today's episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Bookkeeping with a Purpose podcast. My name is Michelle Brown, and I'm an enrolled agent and church finance consultant, and I love all things Jesus, church finances, business, and books. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the ins and outs of church finances and minister taxes, along with how to serve the local church as either a staff member, volunteer, or through your own bookkeeping business, all while keeping Jesus at the center of everything you do. So grab your notebook and pen to take some notes because we're going to learn all kinds of stuff about church bookkeeping, payroll, compensation laws, tax compliance, and I'll probably throw in an occasional episode on faith and mindset work too. So if this sounds like fun to you, then come on, let's get ready to learn. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Bookkeeping with a Purpose podcast. As you know, I believe that note takers are history makers and there are lots of things you can take notes on in this episode. So let's jump right in. Accountability within the church is the process of holding individuals and organizations responsible for their actions, decisions, and behavior in accordance with the standards and principles of the Christian faith. The aim of accountability is to promote transparency, honesty, integrity, and responsibility among the members and leaders of the church. The Bible states in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 that he who walks in integrity walks securely. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2, it states, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. These are just a couple of the numerous verses that prove the biblical basis for accountability. 
and you know we got to get to some numbers so as of 2022 there were approximately 380,000 small to medium-sized churches in the United States and according to Todd Johnson who's the Associate Professor of Global Christianity and the Director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. (laughs) Say that fast five times. He told Christianity Today that embezzlement will cost churches $170 billion in the year 2050 if current trends continue. Did you hear me? $170 billion, with a B, dollars. Okay. He also said that although financial fraud would ideally be less prevalent within the religious community, giving is part of the church model, and where there's money, there are thieves. He continues and says one in three, that's a third. If you take a third of 380,000, you come up with 125,000 of just small to medium-sized churches will be victims of embezzlement, but 27% won't even report the crime. Why? Because churches trust people to do the right thing. Members often have a hard time believing that they've been victimized even after someone has been convicted of embezzlement and sent to prison. I can attest to this fact. We had a local church that discovered that their treasurer had been embezzling from them for several years um, to help pay their personal expenses and the church did not turn them in. They did not bring any charges. They dealt with it um, how they felt was the best for the situation. So overall, accountability is an important aspect of the Christian faith, and it is essential for promoting integrity and responsibility within the church. Since this podcast is on church finances, we're going to get practical and tactical on some sound finance policies and procedures. But I'm going to give you a quick list first of other areas of accountability that we need to have in the local church. Then we'll zero in on the finances and address a couple of very important areas of accountability. So here are some ways that we can foster or create accountability within the church. Number one, leadership accountability. Church leaders, including pastors, elders, and deacons, are held accountable for their actions and decisions by the members of the church. This can include regular evaluations of senior staff and leadership, which I do recommend at least once every two years to do evaluations. Members and staff should feel welcomed and encouraged to give feedback without negative repercussions, and there should be oversight from a governing board or council. The next way of accountability is congregational accountability. A lot of people don't think about this one. Members of the church are responsible for holding one another accountable for their actions and decisions. This can include providing feedback, seeking reconciliation, and addressing issues of misconduct or unethical behavior. Imagine what this world would be like, people, if we took discipleship seriously and held each other accountable in love. This means that when we see a fellow believer doing something that is a sin, we hold them accountable and we make them aware of the sin but we do it in love. Accountability is not accusing someone or trying to catch someone in the act of behaving badly. It is encouraging repentance and a return to God's will. To quote Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20 out of the New American Standard Version, it says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The third area of accountability is transparency and disclosure. Churches may be required to disclose information about their finances, their policies, and decisions to members and to the public. This can be addressed in the church bylaws, as well as included in a new member class if one is offered. If you don't offer a new member class, I totally recommend that you do because it's a great way to let people know upfront how the church works, what's involved with being a member, what are the responsibilities of the church to the new member, and what are the responsibilities of the member to the church that they just joined. Um, this can help to promote trust and accountability within the church community. The next area is training and education. If you haven't figured it by now, you know I am a huge proponent of continuing education. Every single position in a church can be improved by education of some type. Churches may provide training and education to members and leaders on ethical behavior, on conflict resolution, and other topics related to accountability and responsibility. And finally, policies and procedures. Churches may establish policies and procedures to ensure that individuals and organizations are held accountable for their actions and decisions. This can include guidelines for reporting misconduct, disciplinary procedures, codes of conduct for members and leaders, and every single church office across the United States and the world should have a finance policy and procedure guide. So here are just two areas that I'm going to cover that need to be addressed in a formal, what I call a PNP guide, okay, for policies and procedures. So here's where you want to take some good notes. Ready? The first area is contributions. And I'm going to give you my disclaimer. I understand that sometimes the manpower just isn't available for separation of duties, but when at all possible, you need to make it happen. Okay? So contributions. Accountability. First of all, in this policy and procedure under contributions, you want to write down and clarify the type of contributions that your church will accept, such as online giving or in uh, physical cash and check. You need to put in writing, I think it's a fantastic idea, to put in writing what designated funds are and restricted funds and give practical examples so that you can refer to these if it's ever come in question. Another thing you want to put in under contributions is will you accept stocks as a donation or a qualified charitable distribution, which is called a Q QCD, sorry, which allows individuals of retirement age of 70 and a half or older to donate up to 100 grand total to one or more charity directly from a taxable IRA instead of taking their RMDs or required minimum distributions. Okay, you also need to put in there Will you accept land as a donation? Will you accept personal property as a donation? So having these decisions already made can help save many a heated discussions and or time of confusion when a non-cash contribution may be given and no one knows the tax implications of such a donation. Because when you get into non-tax giving to churches, there are it's not as simple as receive a car, go sell it, and turn it into cash, okay? There are steps and things that need to be done. So the second thing 
that you want to put in under contributions are your counting procedures. Yes, you need to have procedures for those who count the money and how the money is counted. So you need to include in there who can count the money, such as how many people need to be in the room when the money is being counted. Are they, can you have related members counting, which FYI, you should not have. That is not a wise policy to, um, a wise procedure to do. Is there a certain a minimum age that a counter needs to be? And then you could also put in there, how are funds to be deposited? Such as when I served on the church staff, money was counted at the end of each service, and then it was put in the safe. And then the following Monday, the church treasurer and the bookkeeper would count the money together, write down, you know, the giving out on the counting sheets, and then the deposit was made. So you need to know, you know, how is the money, when it goes from going into the uh, offering plate to actually being counted. And also now you're going to need to figure out what are your procedures for uh, calculating the online giving because so many churches have gone to online giving now as well. So also under that, recording procedures. My big tip here, okay, if you get nothing else on contributions, the same person that counts the money should not be the same person that enters the contributions into the contribution tracking system. Okay, again, I understand that sometimes you don't have multiple people that can do that, but you need to have a procedure in place to hold this accountable. How often will contribution statements go out? You can put in this policy. Will they be mailed? Will they be emailed? Will they be available for pickup only? Will they, every single person that gives a dollar up, receive a contribution statement? Or is there a minimum amount that a member needs to give before you issue end of your contribution statements? So that's three things there under contributions. The next one I want to cover is a check writing and bill payment policy. Okay, again, here's another no-no. The person entering the bills into the bookkeeping software should not be the same person to pay in the bills. Most churches have a church treasurer that may or may not serve also as the church's bookkeeper. You need to have one individual enter and or mark bills for payment and then a totally different person who should be signing the checks or approving the online bill payments. That totally eliminates the possibility of somebody using church funds to pay personal bills. But if all possible, have the person entering the bills be different than the person actually approving and signing the checks and making getting those done, okay? And then I want you to have a reimbursement policy. How many times have you had a church member or volunteer go shopping at the local discount store for something that they wanted for their ministry or etc. And then they bring you a seat, a receipt, and they stand there waiting for you to cut them a check right then and there. No, ma'am. No, sir. Not happening, my dear. Okay. <laughs> Having a written reimbursement policy that would, could also should be included in your new member information will eliminate that problem or at least drastically cut it down. So I suggest a policy that states all reimbursements to follow this process. Okay, you ready? Number one, create a reimbursement request form to be filled out by anyone who wants reimbursed for personal funds spent on a church-approved purchase. Number two, notice I just said a church-approved purchase. Approval for the purchase from a department leader 
in advance needs to be done before the person goes shopping and that the person who approved this purchase needs to be listed on the reimbursement request form. Number three, no receipt, no reimbursement. It's that simple. Um, don't come to me and say, oh, I went to Walmart and spent $10.82 on this, but I lost my receipt. Well, sorry, you also lost your reimbursement. All right. Number four, um, the purpose of the purchase listed was it for a vacation Bible school? Was it for children's ministry? Was it for the ladies' tea? Whatever ministry it was for that needs to be put on there. And a disclaimer, this is a big one, okay? Receipts will be treated like any bill received and are to be turned in by a particular day and time for reimbursement to be issued on the next bill paying day. That means don't come and turn in a receipt to me and stand across from my desk expecting me to write you a check right then and there. Okay, if bills are paid on the 1st and the 15th, then you need to have your receipt to me within three days before the 1st so that you can get paid on the 1st. If you show up on the 1st, bills are already, checks are already written then you will receive your reimbursement on the next check writing day, which is the 15th, okay? People are not gonna like this. They are gonna throw a hissy fit because that's not the way it's been done in the past. I've never had a problem getting my checks reimbursed before. Well, that's wonderful and hunky-dory, but we are trying to make the church office more efficient and make sure that nothing gets overlooked. And this is our new policy. See, it's right here in writing. I will gladly, you know, make you a copy of it. Okay, <laughs> I think that's probably enough for you today as I don't want to overwhelm you, but I do want to help you to increase the integrity of your church office. And as we all well know, money matters and how we handle our finances and especially the Lord's finances says a lot about the condition of our hearts. And that wraps up another episode. I pray that the information provided was helpful to you and that you can implement something that you learned today. Let's remember that the local church needs accountability in all areas of the church, but especially in the financial areas of contributions, check writing and bill payment and reimbursements. So until next time, my friend, let's all strive to make an impact and not just an income. Take care and always look your best, do your best and be your best. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you learned something new or inspired in any way, please do me a huge Omungo favor and leave me a fantastic five-star review on Apple Podcast. It really does help more people to find the show and it just blesses me more than you know. And then if you could share this episode with someone who you think it would help, that would be awesome as well. So until next time, be blessed, my friend.